Hi, I'm Mark Nielski. I'm the author of The Economics of Happiness and my new book, An Economy of Wellbeing. Welcome to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I believe the most important aspiration of our life is well-being and genuine happiness. But by happiness, I refer to the original Greek definition, which literally means well-being of your spirit or well-being of your soul. I also believe we have an opportunity to change the consciousness of our world and the planet by rediscovering the true meaning of the words of business and economics, such as the word wealth, which literally means the conditions of well-being from the Old English. In my podcast, I'm joined with some incredible guests and elders to talk about the development of this new economy based on well-being. I wrote about those ideas in my new book, An Economy of Well-Being, Common Sense Tools for Building Genuine Wealth and Happiness. We'll explore many of those topics in these podcasts with some of my great guests. You'll learn how to adopt some of these ideas in your personal life, your business, and your community. I hope you enjoy these podcasts and feel more hopeful about the future. You can learn more about my book, The Economy of Wellbeing, from my website, economyofwellbeing.com. That's economyofwellbeing.com. And you can also purchase my book on Amazon as an ebook or a paper copy, or listen to my podcast and be inspired. Have a wonderful life. I'm excited to have my next special guest, Steph Coopers from Antwerp, Belgium. Steph is a founder of haponomia.org. It's difficult to say. His TEDx talk in Antwerp, posted a few weeks ago in January of 2020, was an inspirational adventure into the nature of money. And he proposes a new sustainable money system that is worth considering and discussing as we do in this one-hour podcast. Steph has some profound questions, such as when we talk about the economy, what do we actually mean by that? What is the economy or why does the economy need to grow? What happens if we keep growing the economy? Where does money come from? How does it work? How does it influence us and how can it be changed? Why does everyone need a full-time job? What kind of jobs are we talking about? What is the impact of these jobs on personal well-being? And what is the impact of those jobs on society? His current work focuses on the influence of monetary systems on individual behavior and society at large. He conducts research on the topic and facilitates workshops where people can experience what a change in monetary systems does to them and the group. His in-depth theoretical explanations are useful, but we are emotional beings, as he explains, and as we have all experienced, just hearing the facts is not always convincing. Our mind comes up with a list of yes, but statements. As soon as we hear something that feels far-fetched, not in line with how things are, or even stronger, goes against our beliefs. Steph offers an experience to go along with the theory. He's created a game that helps us to rethink and reimagine our relationship with money. Steph's history lies in IT, creative thinking, improv theater, and business interventions. His concern for climate change led him 
in the direction of monetary systems after discovering that the biggest hurdle to solving our climate change problem is actually our current day dominant financial system, and more importantly, behavior it creates. He went on to study economics on his own, complexity theory, human behavior, and sociology by diving into the online research, engaging with progressive thinkers. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steph Coopers from his home near Antwerp, Belgium. question I'm having is um, from an operational perspective if you have you know if we have this balance sheet you have these assets right of yeah you have time you have land and all these other asset classes and you want to live kind of off the interest you know you want to and, and you want to create the money and sufficient supply to manage to maintain the asset right in terms of its integrity that's kind of the goal mm-hmm. uh, then what kind of liquidity stream as that suggest, right? And we've, of yeah. course, we're stripping out interest charges. So I think you're correct. I think you can get to a 20 hour work week very quickly. Yeah. Um, if you strip out that hidden burden. Um, so that's always the question I said. So let's run a scenario where you say, all right, we don't have debt money anymore, but we have this sustainable money system yeah. that's directly connected to time or hours, right? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's connected directly to uh, human capacity. Right. Uh, actually, I, I was talking today with, with, with a friend of mine. Um, and at one point, we started talking about a resource-based economy. Um, and where I think like it's a really good idea, but the accounting would be a nightmare because you can just not keep track of everything that exists on the planet. Um, but... Um, and, and then it also, uh, all of a sudden dawned to me that what the sustainable money system does, it does keep track of living people because the money supply scales with the amount of people that you have on the planet. Right. So yeah. you, what you actually start representing with the money is human capacity, yeah. which is kind of the building block, the basic building block of our economy. If, if, if you, um, is if you, if you would take humans out of the picture, then the entire thing would just organize itself. Absolutely, nature would just nature's already optimizing all the time, right? So I was moving to homeostasis in the in the re- resilience kind of theory, and uh-huh. yeah, so nature does that already perfectly. Um, yeah. So so we as human, the the thing that that is added to the system is is human. Well, human organization actually that we want to organize ourselves in, in, a, in a certain way that um, makes life uh, pleasant and meaningful. Yeah. Well, I I started my career in IT. Yeah. Up until um, in two thousand six, I started doing improv as a hobby, and then all of a sudden I started wondering why I was spending all my time sitting behind computers. and 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 the funny thing is actually that improv was the start of this entire trajectory that eventually led to develop developing an alternative monetary system and it's been a weird path because um with the improv i was like oh i want to have more fun in my life and and doing improv is it's i want to be amongst people again instead of just spending time with 
code. And you, um, you're in Antwerp, Belgium, right? Yeah. 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 Well, actually, close to Antwerp, like right next to it. So isn't that where all the all the jewels are traded, like the the grand jewels? Yeah, Antwerp's still uh, a hub of diamond trade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Still that's is. what I thought. Yeah. yeah, there's actually a joke uh, here in Belgium. <laughs> like Antwerp, Antwerp is the city, and the rest is Spartan space. So I kind of <laughs> <like> ride. <laughs> so. Uh, so I'm fascinated. So you you do improv, and you know sometimes I said the the only way to address this really amazing money system is with humor and uh, and sarcasm, uh, <laughs> because it's so simple, it's ridiculous. Like it's I think John uh, uh, Maynard, uh, sorry, uh, John Gal Galbraith said, um, creation of money is so simple, the mind is repelled. He said in in his 1971 book and. Yeah. So I have, have you come to that also conclusion that it's quite yeah, a it's, um, when I was talking to people in the financial world and, and, and economists they were like, Oh yeah, it's all very complicated. And when I started digging into it, I was like, no, it's not. There's, there's like a <laughs> lot of complicated structures built on top of it, but no one's talking about what's at the core. Right. Um, I'm currently, doing this course on money and banking on Coursera where they talk about monetary markets and everything. And you see a whole bunch of complicated constructs and there's like overnight lending and repos and Fed funds and uh, <laughs> euro markets and everything. And you're like, okay, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going back and forth, but no one's talking where the money's coming from. It's like the walnut trick, right? Where's the P yeah. walnut? And, and yeah. You've lost track of where the P is, but in yeah. fact, all money is created as as a debt instrument. I mean, in our current system, ninety eight percent is debt money, which the yeah. banks have license to create as ledger entries, which you beautifully illustrate in your TED talk. Which I say it's one of the most simple. Uh, I've seen lots of you know I've studied this stuff for my whole life. Yeah, but I thought your your you know icons and diagram was so simple. Uh, and also that truth that you know when you re when you repay your loan you're you're just actually destroying money, yeah. uh, which which is kind of paradoxical, isn't it? Yeah, for for a lot of people that's that's kind of like what? what? <laughs> they go like no no that that's not true. I mean, and and most of the time it's especially people that have studied economics that go like no no that's not true. It's and I ask the simple question like where does money come? And their brains and start to go. Right, even the yeah. loan officer go. I've never thought about it. Yeah, and then, and then you see them spinning out of control because they, it, it doesn't. And then the funny thing is, and you get answers like, "Oh, work." Like, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> work just moves money from the the employer, the from the employer to the employee. It yeah. doesn't create money; it just moves it. Paul Paul Martin, our former prime minister and finance minister, said, "When asked where does money come from," and he said, "Well." He's stumbling, he's fiddling with his coffee cup. And this 20-year-old kid from Toronto asked him that question point blank. He goes, well, uh, well, actually, you know, in the beginning, well, there was trade. <laughs> that was, <laughs> you know, but it's the funniest movie because he, the kid goes out in the street, asks all these really smart people, and people just average folks, and, and they're like, I never thought about it. I don't know. And yeah. when the finance minister fumbles and can't say <laughs> <laughs> that, that's also why i i use the 
the slide from the website of the European Central Bank, you go like, look, here it literally says so. Banks create money and then destroy yeah. it again. Yeah. Because otherwise, it, well, um, since I, I do not have a formal education in economics, which I think Thank is you. an advantage in this case. It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I've, I've, I've just started digging into it my, my, myself and, and kind of go like, oh, where, where, does, where does the money come from? And when I first saw that on the website of Positive Money from the UK, yeah. to be really honest, I first thought it was a conspiracy theory. Absolutely, that's where yeah. we go, right? Or, or you get dismissed, or you're just one of those wackos who hates the rock yeah. or something. Like, no, no, no. Like, it, it cannot be because I, I was approaching that from um, actually from my IT background. Yeah, money creation is an algorithm. You can you can you can write Absolutely. it in computer code. Okay, so you create yeah. money. And I was like, but if you write an algorithm like like that, then you're gonna get in trouble. Because it doesn't add up. It doesn't balance <laughs> up. This is an exponential system by design, and exponential systems always explode. Yeah. So, so I started digging further until in 2014, I, I came across the paper that was published by the Central Bank of England, where they explained the exact same thing. And I was like, okay, I guess that these guys know what they're talking about. They're the Central Bank of England. <laughs> Yeah, if they say this is so. Then I guess it's true. If Mark Carney can say it, Mark Carney's from Edmonton, Alberta, where I am. Uh, yeah. If they admit, right? Yeah. But notice what happens in the British Parliament. Nothing. Crickets. There's no further conversation about this revelation that should actually send alarm bells ringing. But the entire political world is just quiet about it. They. they here in Belgium, currently, we're, we're still trying to uh, form a government. I'm pretty sure we will probably break our previous world record, which is <laughs> 151 days without a federal government. Isn't that wonderful? It's almost like maybe it's just irrelevant. Maybe we, we... Well, we have reserve governments. I mean, uh, I probably think we have the most governments per capita in the world. Wow. <laughs> we have six or seven governments unbelievable yeah <laughs> i mean we have i don't know i think four ministers of climate or five and uh we <laughs> still don't have a real climate fund. wow so but belgium belgium is the ultimate example of how you can use bureaucracy to grind progress to a halt <laughs> We're masters at that. We've, we've, um, we've cut up responsibilities in such a way that nothing moves anymore. Unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so th this is the question I have, and, and one thing I've been posing is um, yeah. th this elephant in the room. I mean, if you look at the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I mean, look at all the, even the climate emergency talk, no conversation about this other ringing bell, which is this impending, you know, metastasized debt mountain, right, which is like cancer that is already consuming in, in the U.S. my numbers. These are just, I got to calculate these numbers. It's not official. 
is, you know, half of our working life, half the American working life is going to pay for hidden interest charges. Yeah. That means that a good portion of GDP, of course, is hidden interest charges. Yeah. The, my numbers on the U.S. debt, uh, the, the actually gross interest charges on that federal debt, which is now, what, 21 or billion, trillion, is, um, is not properly stated. It's, they, they use the word net. So it's actually the largest, on a gross basis, the largest line item in the U.S. budget, more than the U.S. military. And yet no discussion is being had by the climate activists, um, whatever, I know. as to, well, if we wanted to take some air out of this balloon, uh, we need to have this conversation. This is a, yeah. this is a greater, this is a human creation. Yeah. You know, not ecologically if, if we reduce the global GDP by half simply by changing the nature of money creation yeah. we presumably we can reverse this ridiculous greenhouse gas uh, exponential curve it's also what I've been trying to do over the last couple of years is, is try to get environmental movements to look at the money problem right and up till now I had zero success it's as if um, I don't know. It's it's just like oh yeah yeah this this is something that when we need to solve this climate change problem now. But it, it's kind of like to me like you got a you got an apartment building and it's starting to fall down and you go like oh you have to you know you have to look at at the the, the area it's built on the the, the, the foundation yeah <laughs> like look at the foundations. And yeah, people are like, oh, there's in the walls that need to be repaired. It's like, yeah, but if you fix the foundations, then the rest will actually yeah, do that's right. that's right. Yeah. So you said until now. So why are you getting attention now? Is it because your TEDx talk? Is it because why? Um, I, I still haven't got traction with uh, climate change movements. Okay. Still not. I'm, I'm hoping that the TED talk, the TEDx talk will do something about that. Uh, I have no clue how far it's spread. It's, um, I think it has a potential to, to spread far and wide. Um, yeah. uh, it's short enough. It was a 17 minutes. I mean, uh, you did something brilliant in 17 minutes, maybe because of your improv experience. Um, you have to yeah, actually. <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing. I, I got out of IT because I, I was tired sick of working with just computers. And also especially because the job uh, started to get, it was more plumbing. Um, so mm. building configuration files to, to stitch services together and stuff that actually really the creative work that I, that I always liked in IT. Um, so that was the reason I got out. And then I did improv and, and everything kind of came together because um, I still have the IT perspective really helped me in creating a new algorithm. Um, the improv and the theater courses, because I've, I've got a master in film and acting that I did in Calgary, actually, because I took a sabbatical for a year. Wow. I moved to Calgary to do improv with Luce Moose there. And then did a, a master in film and acting with Rogues. So you you know our province and all of its amazing assets and its capabilities. Yeah. I mean, th this is a, we, we could talk about that as an application of uh, the stable money system. But so you so you did that masters and then yeah. And so then I, <clears throat> go ahead. I, oh, sorry. 
No, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. And then after us, because I also did a um, a course on creative thinking. Um, I did a, a coaching training. I did a business intervention training. I did a leadership course in the states, and and the leadership course kind of all fit all the pieces of the puzzles to, together, and. At the end of the course, we had to announce a quest, something that we really wanted to bring to the world. And, and by then, I had been looking at uh, the relationship between our economic system and climate change already. I, I hadn't dug deep enough to get to the, the monetary system itself. But the only thing I could come up with at the end of, of the leadership program was, I want to change the world economic system. I was, I was, I was having this conversation with myself like Steph, you're crazy. <laughs> Cannot do that. Isn't there something else you can have as a question? I'm like, no, no. I'm a dog so with I, a bone. I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> So I, I stood up in front of the group and it's like, well my quest is I want to change the world economic system. <laughs> this was in the States and I think that was a good thing because everyone was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, I myself was... <laughs> crazy guy from Antwerp. He's eating too many truffles and french fries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue how to go about it. I was like, okay, this is what I, what I want to do, but how? Mm. And, and I'm still figuring it out because I haven't found the book 10 Steps to Change the World Economic System. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, I think I think we're on that on that right path. Um, so one of the things I, w I want you to outline is, <clears throat> you know, I've tried to write about this a sustainable money system as well, so that money's no longer money does not be created as debt. It can be created in parallel with our human capacity, yeah. or our time, energy units, uh, jewels of energy, whatever, <clears throat> the natural uh, capacity of land to produce food. You know, all of these criterion can be put into the into the central bank's algorithm. You know, uh, to create just and I think you've explained this just enough money for a guaranteed income. Nobody should go to sleep ever again anxious about tomorrow. Uh, it doesn't shouldn't engender laziness or couch sitting. Um, some somehow we have to figure that one out. But uh, I think people are hardwired to work. I mean. We like to be have meaningful work. So if, if all those criteria are placed, can you walk us through kind of uh, your kind of vision of a sustainable money system? If, if we're actually able to just reboot, you know, the system today, wipe out all the debts, like literally wipe the whole thing. Yeah. Would have to be a global wipeout because you can't leave one country standing. And, and then everyone uh, wakes up on Monday and it's like, well, okay, what, what's happened? All of yeah. your debts are wiped out, but now we have a new system. Can you paint us a picture in the improv kind of stand-up comic? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll speak a little bit from my own experience, but I've kind of been through a transition that I uh, moved to a situation where I had a sort of basic income. Because I, I grew up in a fairly wealthy family and I, I own some property and that actually provides most of my income. Right. Um, and when I started as, uh, when I started out as a self-employed person, 
in the beginning, I was confused. Because you get up in the morning and there's <laughs> no one who tells you what to do. Right. You don't and have a boss, someone nagging yeah. you. And, and it was like, this is weird. <laughs> so what am I going to do today? What am I going to do? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, and for a while I had, I still had a, um, a contract in IT, but I was only part-time. So for the rest of the time, I was like, I was totally free to do with my time whatever I wanted to do. And for a couple of months, I played a lot of video games. A lot. I was playing World of Warcraft at the time. And I, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. But, and and this, this, is, this is what I, I think will happen to most people is you, you, you need to go through a transition phase. You need to allow people to kind of go like, now what? Mm-hmm. And after a while, because after a couple of months, I kind of got bored with just playing video games. Yeah. Um, and I, I was already reading articles, but more and more, um, I started looking into things. Uh, I really started looking at this climate change problem. Uh, I was um, reading a lot more about human behavior, uh, what incentivizes us, uh, uh, books like Nudge and stuff like that. So I, I, I really got into self-study on a whole lot of different topics. Mm. And eventually also monetary economics. If, if you would have talked to me like, uh, say, 10 years ago, and you would have told me like, you're going to go hardcore into monetary <laughs> economics, I would have said like, you're absolutely crazy. I'm totally not interested in economics. Right. <laughs> but the fact that I could just figure out what I was going to do with my life brought a lot of meaning and purpose to my life. For, for a long time, I was also very nervous when someone asked me, what do you do? Because I was like, I actually don't really do anything. Right. <laughs> Every now and then I... <laughs> workshop or I facilitate a brainstorm session but for the rest I kind of I don't know, go from day to day I'm I, a fraud about the world but <laughs> I'm an economic <laughs> outlier I, I am not a cog in the economic matrix yeah, yeah. And, and that feels weird because everyone else is still in that world and and, and and then you also realize, like, oh, a job defines us. So did you kind of feel like Neo in the Matrix? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a job yeah. defines us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then, then you kind of step out of, out of system. You, you kind of look at it from a, from a distance a bit. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Why are people so busy? Yeah, this is crazy. What are people doing? Because, <laughs> you know. People always say, like, oh, we live in a consumption society. Well, we don't. No. We live in a production society. And our production society has, has gone wild. Mm -hmm. And we're overproducing like crazy. Yeah. And then all that overproduction has to be sold to people that ha have to be convinced that they're consumers. And, and we have enough stuff. We, yeah. have, we have reasonably high levels of happiness. I mean... We have a distribution problem, um, inequity, but 
uh, as such, we're, we're actually better off than 100 years ago. And at the same time, we're really unhappy. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious of reading a book called Tribe. Right, right. That's um, great. What? That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, because I, I was reading in it today on the train back home, and what really stood out is like the mass shootings in the United States, they all happen in middle class white areas. Yes. I don't want to say communities anymore because the problem is there's a lack of community. Everyone's just on their own. Yeah. It's a complete narcissistic uh, society. Yeah. And, and we know that happiness, the primary driver of happiness is relationships. So we've, yeah. we've fractured. We've, our relational capital is yeah. in tatters. And commercials are telling us, if you buy this, then you'll be happy. Yeah. And everyone's kind of chasing this stuff. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, you, you buy it and you get your dopamine shot for it a little bit. And then a week later, it's, it's, it's like, oh, I actually feel shit again. And then you need to buy something else. And something else, and something else. Yeah, we're all, we're all addicts. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're bombarded by advertisements. So I'm curious. Um, I, I know I'll go off on tangents too, but, you know, you said you played Warcraft for many months. Uh, yeah. And I've created this crazy idea called, initially it was called Soulcraft, okay? Uh -huh. The notion that why are we on this planet? Like why were, step, you know, if you had a wise auntie who told you the reason you were born is because you're going to be, you know, she already saw that what, what you're yeah. capable of. And, and you got, you, you, you were told that at eight years of age. So now the rest of your life, you kind of, reflecting on what is my purpose and you know i am a soul i'm a, a spirit in a body and i have something to contribute so what if life now is about helping each other yeah. um, increase in the indigenous world they, they have the notion of the, the, the medicine wheel so we're a sacred hoop we're mental spiritual physical and emotional right and those have to be in harmony and balance so the idea was could we create a platform a kind of game of life where the goal is to actually help each other um, achieve why we're here but also kind of optimize that medicine wheel yeah and 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 so that becomes a platform and i wrote it up as a kind of blockchain technology so yeah. i don't know anything about blockchain i mean only enough to be dangerous to say all right it could be a technology worth kicking the yeah. tires on if we have this crazy money system then maybe we can use this platform to acknowledge that each of us, say each male in the developed world has 700,000 hours of life energy, yeah. average life expectancy, say 80 years of age, you know. Um, then wouldn't it be cool that you and I can have an interaction? So we're using our life energy in yeah. a way that we, we mutually verify that I'm contributing somehow to your level of hope, you know, soul, peace, whatever. I wake up in the morning. I, one of the questions, I wake up in the morning, how much love do I feel for myself? Nobody asks you that question, right? Uh, and so this now becomes a kind of currency uh, in which uh, we have an optimization algorithm going here. I, yeah. I just, I, I care about your well-being, right? And whether I ever get compensated in any sort of monetary sense, I, maybe that's not the, the issue. 
you know, the issue is you're the best person you can possibly be in this moment in your life, uh, especially if you're 45 because you're supposedly at the bottom of your happiness curve, right? And uh, so let's make life a little easier between the eight-year-old Steph, who is the happiest you're going to be until you're 70. And you can build a bridge across that valley. Um, so that was kind of the idea I had. And mm -hmm. I've, you know, I've kicked this idea around. But as you say, you know, where do I go? I go to Singapore. I go places where there's lots of money and lots of success. And Holland, you know, the, the progressive countries. And mostly what I get is that's really cool. <clears throat> but then it's like, so what happened on Monday? Well, I'm busy. I, you know, I, I don't have time i don't have the money to do it um even this uh, director of fintech with singapore monetary authority who has become a friend and so what you have mark is an amazing platform you should come to our blockchain you know international symposium and come with a minimal viable product and an ico what's an ico initial coin whatever that is right yeah. and, and yet it's amazing you, we don't get the traction so either the idea is not well formulated or compelling enough, or we have a system with so much inertia that it's difficult to imagine a reboot or... It is, we're also um, drawn into the system. Actually, doing good in this system is really hard, while doing something destructive is really easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, from, a monetary perspective, you get rewarded way more if you destroy something than when you build something. Right. Um, now, with with the entire purpose thing, um, I've my my view in life is that if if you look at it from a cosmic perspective, everything is meaningless. Everything's what? Meaningless. There is no right. meaning. You're right. Everything's meaningless. Yeah. yeah. There is no meaning to life. There is no meaning to existence. But what, what I believe that we have as, as human beings, and this is what I think makes us fairly unique, we can give meaning to anything. We are creators of meaning. Yes, yeah. And we are the only primates, as far as I know, that possess a, a thing called intrinsic motivation. Yeah. I think it has to do with the fact that we evolved, um, that we have to move to survive. We are the only primate that cannot sit in, a, in its lazy ass all day without dying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I think it has, it's, it's somehow biologically linked to intrinsic motivation. I'm not sure it's, it's just a theory I have. But we have a will to do something. We, we seek meaning in life. Mm-hmm. And yes. we're also the, the, um, the one sort of intelligence that uh, puts us apart from all the other primates is social intelligence. Yes. All the other types of intelligence that are primates that beat us. So we're, not, we're actually not so smart. Uh, we're not strong. Our uh, senses are dull compared to a whole lot of other animals. And yet we managed to rule the planet because we're social and collaborative. That's, mm. that's our nature. And our current economic system suppresses that. Absolutely. It forces well, us to compete on a level that is not human. 
you know, hence the subject of tribe, right? I mean, uh, yeah. when you delve into, I mean, we're all tribal, we all are yeah. relational beings, right? And, and I believe that if we are given the freedom to, um, to go through that transition that I've been through, like, you know, give people time that they have, give people the means and the security that they can get up in the morning and really ask themselves, what do I want to do with my life? That after a while, the vast majority of people will find something meaningful to do. And we will recreate community. And that, and that um, this, we, there's also a very strong tendency to change, change everything to, into transactions that are measurable. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where I've learned that this idea that, you know, call it soul printing now is not necessary, not necessarily uh, meaningful. Um, well, so not necessary per se. People say, oh, that's really nice, but nobody's going to actually, you know, I, I get cynical you saying, you really think people are naturally hardwired to be altruistic and giving? I said, yes, I do. Uh, but you're you're suspicious. It says, yeah, I'm I'm Russian. I'm I'm a Russian kid, right? I don't I don't believe it. I'm like, good. He's a brilliant. He's he's an IT guy. He's a yeah. young guy. He t he really liked the 19 year old, right? And I said, let's meet. We'll have coffee. And I want to know what you want to do with your life. And here's my concept paper. And he was he was actually cynical. Yeah. That I don't think people are going to play on this platform. And I said, all right. That's interesting. That's one perspective. Um, but I, I'd like I'd like to step back and, and ask you then though, at the end of your talk, your TEDx, I mean, this notion of a stable money system, where uh, we imagine tomorrow, say Belgium or Alberta, we have we have a monetary authority that still exists. Uh, it's but it's we the people now. So we are going to operate on the basis of what I would call a proper balance sheet. So you know, land, people, relationships, right, which is social capital. We have built infrastructure like the foundation, you know, the buildings and that, uh, roads. And so the goal then is to optimize those physical and qualitative conditions of well-being, because that's where, what the word wealth means. So imagine that we could create enough liquidity or yeah. units of exchange that are directly connected to that goal of maintaining the assets <clears throat> and the flow of benefits or the meaningfulness right uh, of human beings yeah. and our our innate gifts right so we can be the best we can be so yeah. the whole goal is better um can you now you 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 clearly you've simplified this so simply it's like you know uh there is demand for liquidity or money or whatever you units yeah. want to call it and it gets created, people get paid, everyone gets a guaranteed income, uh, excess, you use demurrage, which is a beautiful word. Most people don't have any idea what that means. Yeah. It's, it's like a negative interest uh, yeah. rate in a net present value formula it means you build 200 year projects called cathedrals because you don't care if you live yeah. long to see it. Uh, so there's a disincentive for hoarding. Uh, but um, anyways, I'll let you, I'll let you express your vision um well the, the one 
there's, there's one thing that, that we see in, in, in the workshops that I organize. When you play a simple card game and there's a, a jar in the middle, mm. and people can voluntarily donate money for a common cause to the jar. Okay. Uh, when we play the, the game with the sustainable money system, the, we, we set the demerge at 50% if you go above a certain... We, we, the game is simplified. It's actually, if you have less than 4,000, then uh, at certain intervals, you will, we will give you 2,000. If you have more than 6,000, then 50% rounded up of the surplus is taken away. In the game, we don't say where that money goes to. So it's almost like it's like playing poker and you've got a big box of chips and the house, whatever, the poker uh, leader circle uh, can always, if you're running low on chips, you're literally out of the game. I, I want to keep you in the game so I, I can literally yeah. just hand you a bunch of chips and we just keep playing. As long yeah. as everyone and, and the guy that has a big pile, well, we'll have to figure out how to redistribute that. Maybe we just take some off. We demurrage that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really interesting happening with the game. Because if people would really be so rational and selfish as economists claim, then no one would donate money to right. the job. Right, right, right. But what we see happening time and time again is that instead of paying 50% demurrage, people put 100% in the job. <laughs> Wow. And that's, from a behavioral point of view, really interesting. Because we, and, and this, this happens time and time and time again. Some people have, uh, after a while, they go like, oh, I can put money in the jar. They see, um, the, because it's played in rounds of three minutes, and then there's breaks where we yeah. uh, calculate demerge and give people their, their basic income. Oh, so give me, just, just pause for a minute. So give me an idea that, you, let's say 500 <clears throat> poker chips, right? That's your desired optimum amount. And you have, a, you have 600. You're saying the, the typical behavior is to take 100 and put it in the jar. Yeah. 100% of the excess, the 100. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. What, <clears throat> um, what we believe the reason is if we take the demerge, then people have no clue where that money goes to. If they put it in the jar, then they know what it will be used for. Yeah. So within the current design of the sustainable money system, we give people a choice to where their demerge will go to. Like this, this is a list of projects for the common good. Where do you want your money to go? So you kind of create an ownership feeling of like, okay, I, I pay my, my demerge, but at least I, I know it goes to something that I support. Who, who has the power to distribute the jar, the, the demurge in the jar? Um, well, people just say like this percent, they, they, they can say uh, list percentages and then go like this percentage of my demurge goes there. Or they can just say like, you know, just divide it over everything. So if there. there's 10 of us playing a game and you're running, you've got 100 chits left. And could I just say, I'm going to dip into the jar and give you 400? Just arbitrary, you know. Well, in, in, in the game, the, the, the money is just collected. And right, it's not right. Um, See, I, because, I, I argued the same kind of system as possible. If I said, if you knew that 
you have a bank account right, in yeah. the current system and you knew that um, some of my savings, it will become credit for the next entrepreneur who comes in the bank and, he, and he's opening up a really cool coffee shop. Yeah. I can literally, could I actually say to my banker, I would like to give 10% of my savings. I want to see that 10% is going to that business. Yeah. Can you show me, even of course in the system, it's not entirely, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a jar. And yeah. so, but, but I thought that would be a cool system where then I could feel a relationship between my savings and then an, literally an investment, a debt investment in my neighbor. I even see, cause, uh, um, uh, since uh, I can imagine that some actors will start gathering uh, larger amounts of money than others, mm. but I can even see loans happening with negative interest rates. Just say, right, right, right. Yeah, imagine that I'm I'm at because the the idea is also I could not explain that in the talk because it goes too much into detail. But you have tears in demolish. So the more you have the higher the damage will be. Right, right. I can easily imagine that it would be a 90% damage here. Uh, if you right. go above 100 million or something that, you know, you, or, or even less, maybe 50 million, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. They have a 90% damage here. And if right. you're there, say, imagine that you're in a 90% damage here with a significant amount of money. I can really imagine that you go like, you know what, this is a cool project there. I'm going to lend you the money at a negative interest rate of 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still making a profit. Absolutely. Still. And the, and the person has to pay me back half of what they, I, I, I've given them. And it's still benef beneficial for me. Absolutely. That's it would be beautiful. I mean, a, it's total, a total overhaul of the monetary market. I mean, and, and again, to show that analytically, you know, in an algorithm. Uh, in a spreadsheet would be really powerful because I think people need to like you do in your in your um, with your uh, imaging. Th that's the key I think is people need to see it. And uh, I said we could play this whole economy out in on Excel. I mean, yeah. that's what you and I were, uh, you know, going to explore today. Is like, you know, I could show you the balance sheet of Alberta, right, and all of its assets, land, oil. Uh, unfunded well site liabilities. There's all there's liabilities too that have to be taken care of. Yeah. So I I can then imagine since we have um, I don't know if you know but we have the biggest public bank in North America called Alberta Treasury Branch and it was founded in 1938 when Alberta was in the depth of depression the depression and we were bankrupt so we had this crazy premier who was a you know who was a Bible something you know he's a yeah. preacher and he uh he borrowed this idea from uh, sir roger or roger douglas not roger douglas ch uh, douglas in the uk who was kind of the creator of the social credit and i said so th the fact that we still have this public bank 100 percent backed by the assets of the province means what does that mean it means we can create our own credit our own liquidity in parallel with the balance sheet of the province. Now, yeah. you say, what, what does that, what do you mean? It's like, well, it means we can lend to ourselves at no cost, at no interest. Um, of course, we're still going to run the operation. We need to recover operating costs, and we can start even imagine demurrage scenarios. 
especially uh, uh, in key portfolios like affordable housing. Uh, uh, we just analyzed just yesterday the unfunded well site cleanup reclamation liabilities at roughly $70 billion. That is a lot of money. We only have $17 billion in our heritage petroleum fund, you know, which Norway used as a model, and they have $1.2 trillion. We have $17 billion, right? And we have a $70 billion unfunded liability that doesn't sit on anyone's books. Yeah. So we can, we can actually finance all of these things uh, tomorrow it, within the existing system we have built. Um, and that's what I'd like to play out and say, at least have a, let's have a conversation. And I don't have to be theatrical about this. I need to be so, you know, sober and prudent. It's um that that's that's kind of the funny the funny thing with, with the entire economics profession. They, they talk about rational economic man, but the entire way that things are approached are very irrational. The yeah. entire system is totally irrational because it doesn't take into <laughs> account the non-rational behavior of human beings and the desire to do, to do good. The desire to do good, the, the, the common longing for better, I'd say, I just use that yeah. simple word, the, and the shocking um, disregard for basic accounting rules. Yeah. They've been around since Leonardo da Vinci and Luca Pazzioli in you know 14th century Venice. I mean, the same accounting rules, and we have violated them. We actually do not prepare balance sheets for the state, um, uh, for the for Canada. Uh, it's actually it's preposterous. Yeah. It's a fundamental flaw in basic business practices, and, and, and there's no conspiracy here. It's just like how how is that? How did that happen? Who made that decision not to measure those assets or account for those liabilities? It would imply there's complicity. Uh, yeah. amongst the accounting profession, you know, everybody's on the take. I'll just ignore my liabilities and my yeah. responsibilities and I'll make hay as much as I can and get away with it. And if I go bankrupt, who cares? You know, um, someone else will pick up the pieces and we'll kick the liability down to the next generation. Yeah. 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 That's, that's also what, what you're in, the interest does is that it, devalues the future in accordance to the present. Right, which is the brilliance of Demirage, right? Yeah. How is it that you know this? I mean, I, you know, we teach finance. It's like you discount the future using that present value and the discount rate is, and I said, so how do we decide what the discount rate is? It, are you saying the future is less valuable than it is now? If you say this wetland or yeah. this river, are you saying it's actually less valuable in the future? With growing human population, yeah. that can't make that doesn't make sense. That's what our formulas tell us. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then everyone gets so caught up in the formulas that we get really detached from reality. Yeah, and I can see it happening because when, when I when I was looking going through that course about the money markets, I can easily see how you get lost in it. And then you're just thinking about, oh, I, I, I need to lend a hundred million today and repay that tomorrow, and then 
and then I need to move these assets and these assets and but you're totally up in the virtual world that has nothing to do anymore with, with, with the physical world they will live in. Yeah. And I, I, I can totally understand how people get sucked into that. Absolutely. It's a game. Yeah, it's, it's a, a game. game. It's, it's World of Warcraft on steroids. Yeah, it truly is. And it's, it's stunning. I mean, I've always loved the movie The Matrix. Um, yeah. But I used to tell my business students, you know, the world is very much like the matrix. In fact, in a way it's even, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's cooler, but it's remarkable that the system has persisted as long as it has. Yeah. Preying on our, our collective ignorance and, uh, and we're, of course we're never educated. I mean, here you sit playing Warcraft and you, you realize what am I gonna do with, you know, now I'm out of the matrix, and you're walking around, the, that's what I, my revelation was years ago. I was like, why are you so happy? Uh, let me see, I'm debt free. So as a business person, what does that mean if I have no debt anymore? Well, I have, uh, I have some choices. I could take that extra $1,000 a month that I'm now not paying to the bank for the house. I can buy more stuff. I can buy organic vegetables for the first time. I can uh, support local farmers. I can, oh, or I could spend more time with young business students who want to start something cool. And they're like, how can you spend two hours with me this afternoon? Because I only have to work three hours a day to make my living wage, right, for the household. Do you want to know how to do that? Yes, yes. Could you teach us? Because... Nobody teaches you that. That's business 101, you know. And <laughs> so those are the things when you wake up, you're like, wow, why is everybody so unhappy? Um, and in a system where I cannot, I can't go to sleep at night um, knowing that my neighbor's suffering unnecessarily. Yeah. It's, that, that's also my, my drive because... Um, I, I see what it has done to me if, if I, um, just having the time to stand still and, and, and really think about life. And I wish that for everyone. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I just want everyone to have the luxury to get up in the, in the morning and, and, and really think about what do I really want to do with my life? And, and ask that question to, to people on the street. And I think most people have no clue. I've asked that question to a couple of people. And so like, imagine that you wake up tomorrow morning and you have enough money to, to live your life. What would you want to get out of bed for? Actually, I, I would love to add that question to my questionnaire. That's Go a ahead. brilliant question. I mean, isn't that the question of life, right? Yeah. If I, yeah. If I woke up, I had no more debts and I, I could do whatever I want with the remaining time I have yeah. and what would it be? Yeah. What would, what would make you get out of bed? Yeah. So you, make you, that's you right. Actually go like, I want to jump out of bed and go do that. Yeah. I know I had to get out of bed to let the dog out and make the espresso. Yeah. <laughs> I work at home. I was like, I could, I could sit in my house coat all yeah. day. That'd be boring because actually I want to go skiing this morning. Oh. And, uh, I'm going to have, have some great clients. 
I think I get to analyze Alberta's economy. Like I've got the whole data set on my laptop. <laughs> the chief economist doesn't even have that. Wow. The province, it's so preposterous and it's on my laptop yeah. <laughs> and I can just hit play the jar game. Let's play the jar game. I mean, wouldn't that, I would love to do that. I would love to create just for fun. Yeah. A, a game, a platform where we actually play what you're talking about. And you, you, you're saying you have witnessed it, you have played it and you've seen human behavior act, respond in this way in a, in a mutually um, reinforcing beneficial tribal yeah. way where we are naturally inclined to give and share. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And it's the behavior shifts in the time span of an hour. Do people, do people wonder, does something click in their head to say, why, so why isn't our economy, why couldn't our economy operate this way? Yeah, and, and, and some people, and this, this is saying like, yeah, but this is great, but how are you, how are you ever going to implement this? And I was like, okay, you know, um, my, usually my answer to that is, everything's impossible until it's done. Right. Because... If you go, you don't have to go back too far in history. Voting rights for commoners was unimaginable. Voting rights for women, are you absolutely crazy? Yeah. Uh, marriage rights for gays, no way. No, nowhere. There's a, a really funny anecdote from the end of the 19th century. There was a women's movement in London, and they were vying to limit the weight of the underwear they had to wear the three kilograms. Okay, because they had the, these corsets and crimps yeah. that they had to wear. And, and back then, it was unimaginable that women would only wear three kilograms of underwear. And now they wear these, like, things that are like, what? what is this thing? <laughs> imagine telling any woman today, you have to wear three kilograms of underwear. It's unimaginable. Yeah, it's like putting chain mail on. Do, really, I have to put this bloody chain mail yeah. on to go into Brussels to work? No, no. Mm. Unimaginable. There's another thing that, um, and this is an assumption of mine. Um, I, I think it's a quality of what the sustainable money system might bring. Once people get through the, the entire transition phase, because we, we will need to give people to transition from Yes. Where they are now to what they can be. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also believe that at one point money will, will become less important. That people will start doing things for each other again without needing a monetary transaction. Right. So I I believe that over time the monetary system will be there just in case you need it but that a lot will happen without needing to exchange money. And I'm, I'm not sure to what extent that will happen. We're, we're seeing it already, I mean, in uh, Airbnb, I mean, these kind of shared asset platforms, yeah. like um, cars, living spaces. Um, yeah. These become common wealth now. Um, even like It's still, it's still, it's all, Currently, most of those initiatives are still ex uh, extractive. 
They're still because Airbnb right, right. Was, a, was a small group of people, I guess, really rich from the resources of a whole lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. And there's now uh, Fairbnb has launched. Really? Um, they're, they're still not fully operational, I think. But that's, I think that's more where we need to go to. That, that also what, what comes in gets reshipped. And the sustainable money system would create an incentive for that. Is that small group of people, if, if they start collecting a shitload of money, they will have to start paying a shitload of demo. So it will be redistributed. Right, this, right, right. This nudges you towards that. You can still go like, you know, I want to make a shitload of money and I'm going to make sure that my income stream is really high and that I spend a lot, but that'll cost you a lot of energy. And I think after a while, people will go like, you know what, it's not worth it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I sort of smile and I, you know, watch Bill Gates on this movie about him, you know, um, I think that's interesting or Warren Buffett, these super rich guys, right? And they're having fun. They're trying to solve some of the most challenging world issues, polio, yeah. whatever. And that's all great, you know, but meanwhile, thousands, millions of people don't earn a living wage. And I'm like, you know, if all the billionaires just got together and demiraged their excess, Everyone would have a living wage in the world. There'd yeah. be no poverty. It'd just it'd be over. Yeah. And 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 those guys, the two thousand billionaires, they don't. There's no incentive. There's, and I would say it's actually only a very few number of people who have this massive excess. And and they themselves admit, I don't need it. Elon Musk could lose it all, and he would start again on Monday with another idea. He would go to Venus instead of Mars. Whatever. It's like. He doesn't care. Um, but, but it's also, it's, it's not even rightfully their money, really. Right, exactly. Because um, all that money came to them because a whole lot of people were working for them. And a whole lot of people decided, you know, Microsoft is a good product. Yeah. You know, I need a tablet to write. Uh, I have three different program options, but you know what? I, I like the suite of programs because yeah. they talk, eh, it's, it's, yeah. it's convenient. Of course I'm going to use it. And next thing you know, he, he has $50 billion. Yeah. But the thing there is, I mean, uh, I mean, Bill Gates is, uh, has done an, 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 okay, I hate windows, but that's not <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> but for the rest, I mean, he's a brilliant guy, has done great stuff, but he, he has not written every single line of code of Windows. He has not put together every single computer that they, that they sell. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, those are people that work for him, that work for Microsoft. That yeah. Dude. Yes. But all, the, all those profits go to the owner of the company. Yeah. So it, I, I, it's all fine that, you know, I, I do not, um, we do not need full equality, but what we need is fair inequality. But we we also need. Uh, I mean, this is isn't this the sort of the challenge we face? You know, here we have yet another meeting at Davos, right? And yeah. you know, we have all the drama and stuff, and and none of these conversations are in play right now. That the the collective kind of agreement that you know what, if we just stop for a moment, as you did. You stop for like, yeah. it's like it was a timeout that allowed you to go, wait a minute, you know, 
Now, of all these really smart, rich folks who meet at Davos, uh, and I'm not maybe giving them enough credit, I mean, would they have the, even the compassion to do what we're suggesting is one of the behavioral economic questions. Because in, in a way, there's an incentive to keep the system the way it is, of well, course. It, it's also, one of the things that, that I do take into account is they're also a victim of the system itself. Absolutely. And, and I also, and this is also something I have from experience, um, I had a fairly large inheritance. Um, I, I put part of it into renovation of my house, uh, and another huge chunk I, I gave to family to, so that they could build a house too. Mm. And now, um, but when I had this large amount of money on my bank account, I also experienced a, a really big uh, aversion loss. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That all of a sudden, um, because I had so much, I was more afraid of losing it. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's what they say. That those who have a lot are actually afraid of losing it. Yeah, and and now that it's gone again, it's actually yeah, it's it's more relaxed. <laughs> that's. That's the amazing part. I think Lynn Twist, who wrote The Soul of Money, talks about that. He said, yeah. on the ends of the bell curve, you have the rich who are afraid of losing it and those yeah. who are clamoring for their money and the poor who, all, who struggle too. You know? yeah. But I think there's equal pain almost on both ends of that spectrum. If you're kind of in the middle, there you go like, you know, I, I, got some, I got enough coming in so I don't have to worry about it. Then, and there's, there's not so much that you have a reserve that is like, oh, it would be a total disaster if it's gone. But that is like some security, like, you know, if something would happen tomorrow, I have some. Mm -hmm. And then, then actually, it, it feels way more relaxed than when you go like, oh, I've got a huge pile of money now. Well, I have to do something with it. It has to, well, maybe I, would, I should turn it into a little bit more because that would, that would feel safer. And it never does. Nope. So I, I also understand why billionaires are reluctant to say like, you know what, I'll give 99% away. Because also your um, numbers change. Now today, I, I, I need to take care about what I spend and um, I, I can, uh, I need to do some bookkeeping. It's like, oh, I better not do this. And, and oh, I've already spent too much on it. I need to take care of the rest of the month. But when I had the, uh, more money, there was like, oh yeah, I'll spend 500 euros and that's pocket money. If I, today, 500 euros is like, okay, um, if I do that now, then I need to be really careful for the next couple of months. And so your perspective changes. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that, that we also need to take into account. And then there's another thing, have you ever read the book Scarcity? I've heard of it. You're the second person I think who's mentioned it. It's, it's a really interesting read. What, what actually, they, they've, they've done some really, really good research. Really, uh, they, they really eliminated a, a, a lot of um, influences. Right. And what their, their main conclusion is that if people live in scarcity, any type of scarcity, there's three things that happen. One is, um, they get really focused on the object of scarcity, right. money, time, social context, whatever. Mm -hmm. So you get tunnel vision. 
Everything else kind of fades into the background. Right. Long-term vision of the table. Everything becomes short-term thinking. And your IQ drops by about 15 points. Now, I believe that the majority of people in today's world live in a feeling of scarcity. I agree, yeah. Imagine the potential you can unleash if you take all those people out of scarcity. And even politicians, because politicians have this scarcity on their balance sheets. Yeah. Because they balance their budgets. So they automatically gain uh, tunnel vision, short-term thinking, and they become more stupid. More stupid, they get more erratic in their, uh, I mean, we see this in Alberta right now, right? Yeah. We, you know, oil is down, uh, nobody wants our oil. Uh, so we hunker down, we you know, build uh, a fortress mentality, yeah. and everybody's out to get us. Everyone is against Alberta. And, and so we, yeah, we have the complete, instead of thinking, wait a minute, we actually have 200 years of this stuff in the ground. Yeah. 200 years. The, the world is not going to stop using petroleum in some form tomorrow. It's not, not going to happen. No, but the scarcity mindset, in fact, what, what actually I've shown is abundance. Yeah. I've had 200 billion, 200 years of supply. Yeah. That's just economic reserve. That's just what you can take out now economically. Out yeah. of the and I'm like, well, so what's the rush? What's the rush to get more barrels out of the ground? Especially when you have a, a climate emergency ringing here. Yeah. And you like, no, we have to, we're entitled to this. Like, damn the world, damn everybody else. Um, it, it also all comes down to, and, and this, is, this is the basic question that is never asked. What does it actually mean to be human? Can, how would a uh, human-based society look like? If you are like really a society that is constructed around who we are as human beings. Yes. Because our current society is constructed around chimpanzees. Because the, they, I read a, an, an article a while ago. They found a... Um, Homo economicus, a rational economic man. It's a chimpanzee. Yeah. Right. So we build an entire society which would be perfect for chimpanzees. Not so much for you. Right. Amazing. So let's let's have a let's chat about that. Let, let's chat about how that would look like. Imagine you build a society and you just go like, who are we as human beings? What would a society based on those needs and wants really look like? Right. I think that's, <clears throat> you know, maybe we can um, close on that. Is, um, I mean, I think that's my aspiration too. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm trying to do with this little survey instrument I've been using. Um, been just testing it. It's a beta test. I've got 800 people yeah. taking the survey. And it's called you know, well-being survey. And, and basically, it's a reflection in the mirror of who you feel you are today in yeah. your four quadrants of that medicine wheel. And really, that it's interesting when I look at the data, because I'm like, I don't know what to do with the data. It's, it's just you looking in the mirror. 
Yeah. There's no right or wrong score. It is, you know, if you say, no, my childhood was terrible, but I'm actually, my life satisfaction, I was eight out of 10, but my childhood was two. Yeah. Wow, like there's a story there. You transcended a terrible childhood. That's cool. Um, but it gets to the heart of our humanity um, yeah. that, you know, we all will have challenges to face, but maybe when we look at the sum total of these, our little soul print profiles, we, we come to understand how I can help the other person. Yeah. Just it, be a little good. better, feel better. Yeah. You know, uh, collect your story. Like we're doing this podcast platform is amazing. I, nobody knows about Steph and Antwerp. I mean, <laughs> nobody knows about me. I mean, you get crazy viral videos, you know, on going yeah. on and nobody, if, if, even if one half a percent of Albertans listen to this interview and they're like holy shit you know and, and then our next question is let's write the algorithm is there yeah. an optimization algorithm you write code you you know we've got software we've got artificial intelligence we think you know we have siri who can't even understand a basic question i, I saw a two-year-old friend of mine from london her niece who's like two they videoed her asking her little tablet. I think yeah. she was asking Alexa, "What's what movie should I watch today, Alexa?" And Alexa says, "I don't understand your question." What? What? You you know? And then she she gets frustrated. She's like, "Just what movie do you have, you know, listed for me?" And Alexa can't answer. Wow. And then the next scene is mom handing her a water glass. Here, this is what you should do right now. Drink some water. <laughs> but Alexa can't help her make a decision. Right. Mm. That is stunning. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I, I really also want to do is I want to create an online game uh, kind of like Second Life. Yeah where we can start experimenting with new economic systems. Perfect. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm game. Cool. Cool. So um, this has been great. I mean, we can, we could probably, it's been about an hour. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I think there's more to explore. And, and I know I'm serious about running Alberta through your, you know, this scenario. Cause I've said, look, if, if I could prepare a rudimentary balance sheet for the province yeah. and say, okay, all I have to do is define the asset classes, which I can do, and yeah. the criterion on each asset class, or call them sustainable criterion, yeah. uh, which is just, should be very intuitive, you know. Um, yeah. So whether it's land or people and their use of, and, and then kind of think about, well, what, what kind of sustainable money system would function efficiently? Yeah, in, in your kind of within your model, and just literally just play it out, visualize it, right? Yeah. Um, and then I guess the logical question is: Well, do we have to create a game for people to have the experience and go? Oh, as you said, what did you say? Uh, nothing until you build it. Like we, no, can, you can imagine it, but yeah. until you manifest it, people will just say you're. That's yeah. crazy. Or the, What the game does, and, and this is um, 
the game gives people an emotional experience. And I've, I've seen that when we do the workshop and we let people play the game, yeah. the conversation we have afterwards is completely different from a conversation when I just do a, a theoretical explanation like these are the facts. We do not even get half as far as after playing the game. When wow. you let people play the game, you let them be human beings within the system. Yeah. And they experience what it, what it can be to be a human being within a different economic system. And that way surpasses their cerebral. It's true. Uh, we have a friend who, my wife does uh, mediation work and restorative justice, but her friend is an expert in circle yeah. right? So she explained this amazing experiment. So uh, they did a circle workshop and she said the first night, the Friday night, uh, she asked everyone to come in circle, yeah. but no one can talk. But she says, so there's no interaction here, except there's in the middle of the room, the circle on the table is a bag full of pieces of driftwood. Yeah. And she says, the game tonight is for you collectively to self-organize around creating a sculpture from this driftwood, yeah. which the game ends when nobody gets up again to rearrange the driftwood. Yeah. So they, you know, they start and there's this, no, you know, there's no interaction. You don't even know each other. You're yeah. just kind of interacting. And then one hour into the, the game, you know, you think, okay, we're done. And, and someone gets up and knocks the whole thing off the table. <laughs> and, and the blood pressure goes up. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, so they go to sleep and they wait, you know, in the morning, they, they then unpack. What did you experience? What did you feel? Right? Yeah. And she said, it's just an amazing amazing kind of exchange yeah. of emotions and but but eventually people do sort of come to peace with what's yeah. really desirable there and yeah wow yeah. <laughs> so right. what when, when is your so you've been experimenting with this game and you're planning to yeah i'm actually giving a, another workshop tomorrow night here in Antwerp. Oh. um we are. We now have a partnership with Technopolis, which is a um, an organization that has science expositions for kids. Yeah. Uh, and they they have got business clients, and they they are now selling the workshop as a team building workshop. Wow. Um, we are working on the board game, which is a bit more complex, but which um, is closer to building a real economy. There you also have pollution and happiness and, and, and import and export markets and production and everything you get. Um, and then we're, like I said, trying, we were, I really want to set up an online game because it, it would, well, it would do two things. It would give people around the world to experience what an uh, alternative economy could look like. Yeah. And it would give us a shitload of behavioral data for research. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.